Oh. Oh, hang on. Oh, that's a shame. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. But James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of F1 in Review 2023. I'm Tom Claiborne and as ever I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt and Angus Gallagher. Today we're looking back at the Miami Grand Prix where, who would have guessed it, Red Bull finished in a 1-2 position coming into this weekend. But it wasn't all smooth sailing, no. Well, Perez qualified in P1, Verstappen qualified in P9. This after Leclerc's crash meant that Q3 came to a premature end, a topic we'll get onto later. And now Verstappen, he started on the hard tyres, tore through the pack quite quickly, overtook his teammates, sealed the win. Without being too dramatic, I think it's fair to say the Dutchman was more than flying this Sunday, don't you think? He was flying this Sunday. Uh, the flying Dutchman. Very nice, Tom. I liked, I liked that. Um, throwing a bit of uh, <laughs> ye old stories into there. And I think it was a really a story of two halves this weekend on one hand we had a an optimistic beginning with with Perez's good fortunes allowing him to get pole position and then mm. by the end of the race it was clear that Perez was struggling a bit and Max just had consistency and I think it would be good if we can start off with the the leading controversy this this weekend which was this this rumour, I think, who was started by Anthony Davidson on Sky F1, that Perez's lack of success and Max's win came off the back of Red Bull screwing one driver over, and specifically Checo, by not giving him the the numbers. Uh, on mm. Live on, on their commentary, Anthony Davidson said that his uh, Perez's engineer wasn't giving him the delta, the, the uh, the time between him and Max and therefore he wasn't necessarily pushing as hard as he needed to which meant that Max came out the um, the pit stop on the much newer medium tyres only two seconds behind him and breezed past him ah and and what a what an interesting narrative and exciting narrative that is unfortunately it's just an absolute lie and there's no other word for it he just lied that's not what happened at all in fact Checo's engineer um, was giving him not only Max's um, average lap time, his, his, lap, his lap time, he was also saying how um, how far Max would be when he came out of the pit stop behind him. And so Jacko was getting that data. He knew that it was 17 seconds to Max, it was 16 seconds to Max, and that was something Christian Horner confirmed on the radio. But it seems like this is something that's still emanated out and has been thrown across um, the social media verse, and it's just nonsense. And I think that's important because if you look at also Checo's own um, discussion about this, he he said that he just wasn't as fast. It was kind of like a role reversal from the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, right? When when Max said he just wasn't as fast as Perez, this weekend Perez said, well, I wasn't really as fast as Max. <laughs> I couldn't get the car set up. And so it, it feels a bit like a, a an inverse of what we saw last weekend when the luck favoured Perez and Perez ended um, up winning and this time Perez wasn't able to capitalise on, on the luck and Max just had a you know in the end a better strategy so I think it's a real reflection I think on what we're hearing in, in the commentary and to be honest I feel like I'd let down by Sky a little bit and the commentary for, for just lying like that I'm not totally sure why they would do that other than to get people frothing at the mouth getting angry and uh, creating a, a better narrative, would you say? Agreed. Yeah, that's fair. Um, a narrative to suit what they wanted, uh, the view that they wanted to portray, because in reality, I think, for me, the standout thing from this weekend is just, Verstappen's pretty good, isn't he? Mm. 
He's he's not mm. he's not a bad driver. Because um, he was dominating that weekend up to the stage of Q3, where he made that mistake on his opening lap, put himself in a position where it's not impossible to get a pole with one timed lap. Like it is possible, it just puts you in a tr- tricky position, especially if a red flag appears. And lo and behold, a red flag appeared because of Charles Leclerc's uh, erroneous driving around the turn six and seven area. But despite that, Verstappen just picked them off one by one. Um, didn't even need the benefit of a of a safety car and everything because we had the uh, the unusual distinction of a race with uh, zero retirements, mm. and he just he just kept on going, picking them off. Had the faster car, got past Perez. He just yeah yeah. Uh, I remember after our podcast last week or during our podcast, we were talking about is this. Verstappen having a challenge to him is this Perez in the title fight fully well he may he may well still be I think he's done very well to begin to this point and be considered for it but I think Verstappen just it's the classic person at the top of the sport the top of their game has a has a slower start than you'd expect and they just go right okay it's fine I've got it I'm it's under control I'll show you what I'm made of and they put down a performance like that, which just underlines their superiority. And I think that just simply is what what Verstappen has right now is just superiority. So I think that should be the not that should be the main thing to take away from the weekend, not whether or not uh, Red Bull were being biased towards uh, uh, Verstappen in the eyes of Sky Sports. So I think that just Verstappen just showed his class really, and um, he's quite good. He's quite good, isn't he? Yeah, he's just set the bar really, really high this weekend, as he's done in many Grand Prix before this season, last season and the season before, really. And it shows just how good Perez has to be every single week to get close to him. Because, yes, he did make one or two mistakes. There was that costly one towards the end where he gave away a second plus, I believe. But if we rewind before that, he was putting in lots of fast laps, had a good start as well. Not normally a strong suit. And he was boxed in by the fact he had to be on the mediums to get that uh, stronger start. Meanwhile, Verstappen had more of a, a free hand, if you will. So... He's been unlucky to a point, but then again, when you're up against, dare I say, one of, if not the best drivers of this generation coming up, then it's very, very difficult to do anything but come second. But I think Cristiano made a, a very good point, really, when he said afterwards, quite smugly, my ad, but still, where was Mercedes? Where was Ferrari? Where was Aston Martin, for that matter? Because at the moment, it's only uh, Fernando Alonso who's putting some form of a fight towards either the Red Bulls. Stroll's nowhere to be seen. No doubt we'll talk about that now and before the end of the season. Um, but he's the only one trying to give them a fight. But as I say, Mercedes and Ferrari, unhampered by any form of a penalty, are nowhere near Red Bull and it is now up to Perez having to literally have the best season of his life, 10 out of 10, if not 9.5 out of 10 every single race to go and even give give himself uh, or anybody else a chance of beating Verstappen really. But um, going back to the first point before handing over again, um, yeah, a real shame that Sky were peddling a, a false narrative because it's not an unbelievable one because we know that who the number one driver is but f- you know, f- flaming or sorry, fueling something like this uh, based on nothing is well, it's it's wrong. Put it that way. It is wrong, and it is something that we have to deal with. Which is why I thought we should get it out of the way to begin with, so that if you are only tuning into the first six or seven minutes of this podcast, then uh, you can go away feeling uh, much more mm. content with the life, knowing that Perez is not necessarily being uh, well rolled over by Red Bull and thrown into the the back of the van a little bit there and here's a question for you though Re- reflecting on this race would you say that we we have a uh, still have a title fight at Tom because uh, of what your comments were last <laughs> year or would you say that perhaps we're now moving on to the point where we're at Max Verstappen versus Max Verstappen's bad luck I think there still is a fight going on um, going back to my comments Last episode, I still think that Verstappen will win this, but I think that Perez will give him a good run for his money to a point. A better run uh, for his money than Bottas gave Hamilton in the sort of Mercedes-dominated time. But it does depend on how Perez does and the tracks that don't suit him. Looking at somewhere like Spain, Monaco, 
you expect them to do well. Hungary as well, but getting onto streets like um, getting onto tracks, sorry, like the uh, British Grand Prix, Silverstone, for example, somewhere like um, the Japanese Grand Prix as well, Monza. Just a few examples about where in the past Perez hasn't really been at the top of his game compared to others. So there is a fight, but I don't think anyone's killing themselves when they say it's a serious fight akin to even last year or the season before. Is the fight still on? Mm. Did I? What did I say last week? Did I say that it's not? Or did I? I think I might have said that. Well, it's well, on. What's your gut saying this week? Um, yeah. I think. Well, I mean, I, th- I, th- I think last week I said that it's on, but um, like the staff would pull away eventually, like champions do. It wouldn't surprise me if I'd said something pedantic like, "Well, it's always on mathematically until the very last." <laughs> yeah. I say something like, "Nick DeVries and Logan Sargent are only 119 <laughs> points behind with 18 races to go. They can it's mathematically all to play for. <laughs> the fight is, yeah, the fight is on." But, but like on a serious note, I say that, like, I'd have been more likely to say the fight was on last week because of the way Perez drove. But then this week, I'd say that. The fight isn't as on because it, as on. I don't know if that's the thing because uh, Verstappen did such a masterclass. But that just perhaps shows it's more of a fickle decision I'm making. It's me only really judging it based on each race. I mean, we could be sitting here after Imola and Perez has wiped the floor with everyone, and Verstappen has crashed out, and we say, "Oh, Verstappen's lost his mind." Perez is the favourite, so it's it's a bit fickle, really. But I think in the long term, it's still. There's a at least there's a fight for the drivers. The constructors' championship is like done and dusted already. Red Bull yep. got twice as many points as anyone. There's only Red Bull are on 224 points, and there's only one other team who are, who are on a three-figure amount of points. So that mm. is that's done. That's done and dusted. But um, at least there's some element of a fight in the drivers, even if Verstappen is. I still say you get still got still still uh, definitely get short odds on him at the uh, the bookmakers. What do you think, Tristan? Well, I, I was sceptical last week, and I questioned you a little bit, and I still do, unfortunately, Tom, because mm. I I just think what Max executed this weekend was an absolute masterclass of a drive. It it brought back memories of Brazil 2021 with Lewis yep. Hamilton. And his yep. ability to go from the back of the grid to the the front uh, and winning, amazing, absolutely nuts performance then. And from Max this weekend, just watching him pick off the the drivers one by one before the race, Alonso was asked to predict again because he successfully did it in Azerbaijan. What lap Max Verstappen would overtake him? And he said uh, twenty five. I think it'd be twenty five. It was twelve. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely uh. insane performance there was no one no one could do anything i i was thinking well perhaps you know max would be held back a bit by the other drivers nope no chance it, mm. everyone had everyone was fighting a different race it was like max Verstappen was in formula formula one and everyone else was in formula 1.5 formula two you know apart from you could say maybe apart from Perez but even then Max's lap times on the on his only set of hards because he went hards um and you know until the like 15 laps before the end so lap 50 50 or 52 whatever it was um his he kept putting in faster laps fastest laps on these old tires so no one had an answer for him but what I'm interested in now is what what does this mean actually for the f1 fans because this weekend was definitely a bit of an experiment america often is for formula one because it's a time when they get to crack out what i would class as the over the top i think it's cringy i appreciate that your personal preferences out there your sensitivities may mean that you don't find it cringy but i find a lot of the u.s stuff very very cringy i find I found the introduction cringy and excessive. Now, you might not. Fair enough. Good on you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, but we're, there's no doubt, and I think we can all agree, that Formula 1 has attracted more fans in the last few years. And certainly many more fans since 2021. Do you see those fans sticking around? Oh, Maybe Ooh. taking a hiatus, I'd say. Keeping a more casual 
eye on uh, Formula One. Being more subscribers or viewers of Drive to Survive than I'd say probably weekend to weekend content. I mean, it's the Netflix generation, so that they won't have much attention span if things start to go uh, start to go wrong and uh, things don't seem as exciting. But I like to think that maybe. I think that I think that maybe you'll stick around because, like, they've at least joined recently, and the character. I think the the characters in the sport will be more relevant uh, to what they feel. They'd be more sort of like feel more sort of in tune with like all sort of uh, related related feel feel like the drivers are more relatable per se. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what their um, their staying power is definitely. I don't know. I I I'm skeptical. There was a lot of I think frustrating um comments around this weekend uh, and certainly an annoyance at the fact that we are back to to the 2015, 2017, 2018, you know, sort of era. I mean, you might say this is kind of like 2016 2.0 Hamilton versus Rosberg, but the point is we're in mm-hmm. ultra dominance and I think for a lot of fans they haven't seen this. <laughs> 2021 was was a bit of a title fight 2020 was a little bit more exciting because we had sort of the rise of max um mm. the prequels if you prequel if you'd like <laughs> to uh 2021 um max strikes back and you know now we have certainly settled into the next age and then you know max's dominant era and i feel like this is something that people won't be prepared for and especially if you haven't yet adopted what I would say is a, a holistic view of Formula One. I think if you're just watching because you're excited about who's going to win the race, I think you're going to get very bored very quickly. Um, if you are listening to this and you are new to Formula One, my suggestion is that you, you get excited about the, the the points and just what the points mean. For for me, and I, I think perhaps for you guys as well, If you when, when we saw George Russell get his first point, it was as exciting as you know perhaps winning the world championship because these things mean a lot um but i do feel like that understanding of what's quite exciting about the sport doesn't hasn't necessarily trickled down yet and i i think formula one's gonna have a problem because i think they are trying lots of these new things for these new fans and they're great yeah i like the fact we're trying new things but on the other hand the show the actual spectacle needs to come from the driving the racing the excitement wheel-to-wheel action and they're just not delivering on that it would be like watching the super bowl only for the um you know the halftime show well yes certainly we can all do that but you would have thought you'd want the actual main event to be equaling it yeah, and I take your point about the battle for third, fourth, people getting points that haven't got points before and that being exciting and important and, you know, I subscribe to that entirely. But it is settling, isn't it? I mean, at the end of the day, we all do go and watch the sport about who's going to go and win it, who's going to get on the podium. And that's why I think that even last year was quite exciting because you had two constructors who could win, two constructors who were literally gunning for P1, P2, P3 on merit, Granted, there was one team, Ferrari, who, uh, let's say, put constraints on themselves and ultimately were the masters of their own downfall. But there were two constructors that could do something week in, week out. There was a bit of jeopardy in there. But at the moment, there is no jeopardy. And speaking as an F1 fan, I am frustrated again because I feel we're going back into that Mercedes dominant period where it's looking back at who's going to get fourth, who's going to get fifth, who's going to go and score points, which is fine. But it is settling, really. I don't think that's why anybody got involved in the sport to start with but maybe that's just me it does get a bit repetitive when you have the same podium combination being repeated over and over again we've had the days of uh what um what would be seen on the uh the graphics as ham ver bot otherwise yep. known as hamilton verstappen bottas and now we're getting a uh, ver per allo so <laughs> verstappen perez allo verstappen perez alonso and um, whilst it's fair to recognise both the superiority, F1 is a meritocracy, sure. So being able to acknowledge excellence and when a, when a team's done a good job, that's what Toto Wolff said last year. He said F1's a meritocracy. In the years when we produced the fastest car, I expected people to say well done. So I'll say well done to the Red Bull from this year. 
Um, and again, that's fair. And also, it acknowledges the uh, the ins- I think insane nature of a forty-one-year-old man standing on the podium four times in one season. That must be a record, I reckon. Surely, mm. other than maybe the fifties when everyone was in their forties and fifties. Um, but still, yeah, it does. You're right; it gets repetitive, and I'd just like to see some. I'd just like to see all it takes. Maybe is one race this season, or a few races where it's more chaotic, and you get more jeopardy, like drivers, uh, like drivers, sort of like from the top, not doing as well as they should have done, crashing out. Maybe we need a wet race. Mm. We haven't ever, we haven't had. Any form, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. We haven't had a single drop of rain so far this season. And yes, I know we've been to Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, Australia, Azerbaijan, and Miami. So I'm probably being a bit harsh there, mm-hmm. and considering the time of year we're at as well. But something like a wet race, maybe Bernie Eccleston's idea of introducing sprinklers every three races was a good idea after all. A visionary. Maybe, maybe the, if we're if we're talking about trying new things and radical ideas, then um, there's one to. Um, to put in the in the in the uh in the pipeline possibly but yeah i um i agree with the points but i i i fear that we don't want it going going stale we don't want it going mm-hmm. stale and that each race we're like we turn up and we're like oh well i think this person might win again or i think this person might finish on the podium again so i think that and sometimes seasons happen right where it can be more stale and more boring and uh, like teams do just have more of a dominant edge like Red Bull does right now but it's something which you still you ideally wouldn't want to happen so but I wouldn't know what the best way to avoid it is I guess wait for the regulations to close the field up as they often do well that's that's the question isn't it and this is why I think Christian Horner rightly said well where's where's everyone else because it's not for Red Bull to hold themselves behind I mean let's let's be very honest for a moment i don't think at any moment during the um complete and utter dominating era of mercedes after you know 2014 onwards toto wolf lewis hamilton and rosberg slash bottas turned around and said Kah, let's change this this sucks <laughs> they loved it and that's the problem and it was for everyone else to to get back up to the the front and my solution is perhaps a bit radical but this is gonna be because we chuck everyone down the same pipe and the the regulations are so tight now that there is no room for innovation and unusual innovation anymore <laughs> Okay, and I'm going to sound a bit like a, one of those old farts for a moment that goes, oh, well, look at the olden days. But look at the olden days. We had the the Tyrrell six-wheeler. The, the Was it Brabham's fan car? We had experimental aero designs. We had the introduction of, even after that, right, going into the, the late noughties, we had things like the F-duct, which was an innovation in itself until it got banned. Um we had the double the double diffuser on the brawn car and how everyone had to copy that you know we had these moments of innovation and 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 like unusual things and and that just can't happen anymore when we look at innovation now the innovation we see is oh look ferrari have done something weird with their wing mirrors oh mercedes have done something you know added an arrow to their wing mirror but that's gonna make a difference isn't it there's no room for these innovation so when when you say to people well you know it, it's still a constructor sort of championship everyone builds a different car but you're going to have to sort of have the same design and very very close there's going to be one optimum and that's the problem there is going to be one optimum whereas if you go back a bit and, and you know into the i, I don't want to say the good old days of racing because it sounds like the cliche but if you do make it less restrictive you can have multiple right answers and that can bring about some exciting championships, and that's gonna that's I think gonna hamper Formula One for a long time, unless they're willing to make it like Formula Two, or Formula Three, or the you know W Series or Champion Series, um, which is you have everyone has the same car. If you're gonna make everyone have the same car, well, make everyone have the same car then, because I feel like at the moment, and maybe this is a hot take, we've got the worst of both worlds. 
in we're forcing everyone to almost have the same car and we're also wasting time by making the pack slowly you know transcend across the poor ideas towards that that sort of optimum golden standard which eventually is what we saw in 2021 and eventually gave us a decent fight here here yeah that's fair if you want to if you want to know about other funny innovations you mentioned the um what was it the fan car yeah. and the ground effect cars and the six wheeler yeah Look up about something that happened in the late 90s where uh, teams, I think it was Ferrari and Tyrrell at the time, brought these things called X-Wings, which were basically aerodynamic devices which were just little sort of winglets sticking up off the top of the nose cone, um, which which were promptly banned because I think partly they looked ridiculous, but also because they... They fell, if they fell off, they'd knock the driver on the head. And also, they didn't actually hmm. improve performance. And they looked really <laughs> funny. Yeah, there's there's loads of things like that. And, you know, there is a reason why we don't have it anymore. But still, I, I think that's maybe um, where this sport needs to go. Maybe we start looking at uh, unifying the, the, the cars and moving on from the, the good old days where you could produce a car out, out of a shed and you know fight because that's that's what that's what formula 1 was and if you look at the original formula 1 rules they are hilarious it's like oh you need to have a minimum of four wheels and i'm not mm. saying that we need like and that's why mm. they get six wheels because there's a minimum um i'm not saying that we need to go back to those days of of completely unfettered unregulation but i i am sort of suggesting that if if we all admit that we need to go towards one optimum suggestion then Perhaps it needs to move with the times and and towards the uh, the standard car for everybody, or they roll back a little bit. And sticking with Ferrari, kind of, we're sticking with Charles Leclerc. He crashed twice in the same spot at Miami, once in practice and in Q3. Qualified 7th, finished 7th. He said afterwards, we have a car that is so incredibly difficult to be on the limits. Now, fun fact for you all, he's crashed more in five weeks of this season than Mick Schumacher did for two years in Formula 1. There's now 10 points between him and Sainz. Sainz on 44, him on 34. Dare I say, is Leclerc all that? Is he a world champion to be, or is he actually falling down our estimations after a great performance in the weekend just gone to Baku? I think that I I take my mind back to a, a comment I read from BBC Sport over the weekend, which is that it's a supposedly a commonly held view in the paddock that Charles Leclerc is probably, and this is, I think this is fair, he's probably the fastest driver in F1 over a single lap. His raw speed is unmatched by anyone arguably maybe Verstappen but everyone else doesn't come close to him on one lap speed but it's his mistakes and his pushing to the limit too much that means that he isn't considered amongst the the top echelon the very highest so you have your your Verstappens your Hamiltons your Alonso's he's not quite there I think that's a fair reflection to be honest with you like this guy has 19 pole positions in 108 races, and he's never really been in a car, maybe other than 2019, he's never really been in a car which is the fastest on the grid. Okay, Compare that to Verstappen, who has 22 pole positions, and he's been in cars which have often been the fastest. So clearly Leclerc has very very good natural speed. He got pole in Baku in a car which he has just described as, what was it, un- like undrivable and very difficult to control. So clearly he's he's very quick over one lap but you're but you're right in that the crashing statistics are quite staggering and he often pushes it over the limit it's not just this year i mean it's i think back to previous examples such as uh baku in his first year at ferrari when he was class of the field all weekend but then binned it in q2 and started fifth started 10th or 15th or something um and there are other examples which I can't know off the top of my head right now, but there are other examples of, yes, him crash, Or even times when, I mean, Baku last weekend was on pole, he crashed. In Monaco a couple of years ago, he was on pole and then he crashed and uh, got pole but then couldn't take part in the race. So he, ha- he does have a streak and it's interesting for a driver who, he's in his sixth year as a Formula 1 driver and he clearly is very fast, but... You're right. He does. He makes these mistakes, and 
they they pop up more regularly than you'd perhaps expect. And I still think, don't get me wrong, he's an excellent driver. Behind that group of Verstappen, Hamilton, Alonso, I'd probably place him the top of the tree below that. Maybe hit, I'd say him and Perez and probably George Russell would be the next three in terms of like actual driving ability. Maybe like stick Lando Norris in there as well, forgetting his um, the struggles that McLaren has. But yeah, I mean Leclerc, he has this yeah his weird tendency to just <laughs> for once of a better phrase, bin it in the wall a lot, um, mm. considering his immense natural speed and what you think he would be capable of. Um, do you guys think that he can? Because for me, I like to think that one day, in three years' time, maybe we'll sit here and be like, "Oh, Charles Leclerc, he turned the corner." Like I always remember someone saying about, ironically, about Roman Grosjean back in the day. They said this guy's got talent and potential because you can, you can't make a consistent driver fast, but you can make a fast driver consistent. And Leclerc clearly is fast. But can he be made more consistent? I've just thought of another one where he crashed. Do you remember last year in France when he was leading the race? Yep. And he, if he'd won, he closes that gap to Verstappen. The championship's a bit more interesting. Mm-hmm. And he crashes out from the lead. But I'm interested to think, do you guys think that he will? we will look back in a couple of years and think about how he turned a corner and t- channeled that that speed into almost like slightly less speed, but then fewer crashes? What do you think? Uh, I'm not sure. I think if he sticks with Ferrari, he's minimalising his chances of that, really, because couple a driver that's crashing a lot in this season and last season with a team that's not learning from their own mistakes, I fail to go and see a scenario where he's seriously fighting for a world championship while Red Bull are on their game and Mercedes are still asleep. And I'd even go further than that. I'd actually say this may be a hot take, but reading out signs there, he's leading him by 10 points. He's beaten him already. I'd actually say that Sainz is a better driver than Leclerc, and if anyone's going to win a world championship out of those two, I think it's going to be Sainz, because you rarely see him crash, he's very consistent, he's what you want in a driver, or he has world championship qualities in him, tenacity, resilience, being dumped from Toro Rosso and the Red Bull Academy, if you will, being dumped by Renault, building himself back up from uh, when it came to McLaren and then going on to Ferrari... I think he's got more characteristics right here, right now, to be a world champion than than Leclerc is. Leclerc burst onto the scene with Sauber, got on uh, to Ferrari, and was rightly dubbed as being the next big thing, so to speak. But he's flattering to deceive, to put it politely. And I think that Signs is more of an underdog, and that um, he's the one who's more likely to turn a corner and uh, pose a serious threat. I, I don't know. I think you're being a little bit harsh because I think the. The problem we've got at the moment with with Leclerc, well, or maybe this is not the problem with Leclerc, is the problem for Leclerc. Is there is going to be an expectation that he's got to be challenging Max, and that means pushing the car. That means pushing the car farther than perhaps the car can actually go, and that's that's a problem. There's a an interesting there's an interesting take on this exact problem, right? You actually talked about Roman Grosjean at Haas, well. Oddly enough, Gunter Steiner talks about this, and he has a really interesting perspective on um, whether or not drivers make a you know a big difference. Um, and he says no driver can make up a deficiency in a car, and that's what they basically have to keep saying to Roman Grosjean. Part of the reason why Grosjean was crashing a lot, and if we apply this here, Leclerc is having to make up the deficiency in the car, and he can't do it. And I think that's something how uh, you know that I think that's something that we have to understand as fans. And I think Leclerc needs to understand as a driver. You know, he's taking bigger risks than Max. He's taking more curb, more speed. He's having to uh, you know push the car beyond what it can do, and that means it's going to end up doing the double spin into the wall a lot. And that ended up being, I think. The downfall for Mick, the downfall for um, Roman Grosjean, and I think it could be the downfall of Leclerc. Uh, you know why is Science doing better than Leclerc? Probably because Science is only is only challenging where the car is happy to be. I mean, it's depressing, right? That's a really sad thought. But if you're if you're pushing a hundred percent all the time, then you're tempted to take it, I guess, too far, and that's it. You're just going to crash. So. 
no car can make up the deficient. No driver can make up a deficiency in the car, and I think that's Leclerc's problem at the moment. But when you argue that consistency is a problem, if you were to compare the drivers, looking at the vast array of results so far, granted only five, you've got signs four six five five. Meanwhile, two retirements granted for Leclerc, but it ranges from seventh to third. Well, yes, but if you consider Leclerc's you know, absolute speed, right on on his qualifying lap, he can he can nail it a hundred percent. If he wanted to, if he wanted to repeat that in the race, every all the all the things would have to be the same, right? So he'd need to a be on the stickiest tires, he'd need to be on a low fuel run, and he'd need no one in his way. So this is the problem with qualifying. Okay, so qualifying gives you a very select set of parameters so the best i can say to answer your question is is leclerc is inconsistent because he can probably get the car around the track faster than anyone in some very specific situations and then you ask yourself well is max is perez pushing as hard as they need to think of, do you remember the saudi arabian grand prix in 2021 max Not really. is incredible <laughs> qualifying attempt for pole position do you i don't know if you remember that angus and and we almost watched one of the greatest laps ever and why was max having to push that hard he was having to push that hard because mercedes had the upper hand at that track well that doesn't necessarily mean max was a was a bad driver because he nearly put in one of the best performances and ended up hitting the wall just before he crossed the line which meant it was you know a, a wasted performance doesn't mean to say he's inconsistent it means he's having to push harder than anyone else to get as fast um as as his rival and then in the race max couldn't keep lewis behind and lewis ended up winning and i think the problem we've got here is leclerc is having to try and push that ferrari further than it's been and can probably go in order to get second or third and now it's going to come back and bite him because we had particularly windy conditions. As soon as you're out of those you know, set parameters, you're going to crash. And I think if he wrote, you know, reeled it back and said, look, to be honest, the best I can do is fourth or fifth. Everyone would be going, well, hold on a minute. You're Charles Leclerc. You're the, you're the champion in you know, the making. You're in a Ferrari. Why are you going for fourth and fifth? Why aren't you going for first? So there you go. That's his options, right? You can either be inconsistent, but push it to the, his Ferrari to where we all think Ferrari should be or he could be more consistent in which case everyone's going to complain that he is only in fourth or fifth place but I suppose if you're him then you can go and say well it's not my fault that I've got you know to quote uh Toto Wolff and an S-box of a car if you will <laughs> yeah and everyone better be really understanding but do you think Charles would be happy with that I think he as a person he's going to think I'm going to push it as far as go I on, possibly I can Yes, yeah, uh, that's an interesting point about the. I want to refer back to the bit you say about Verstappen and his crash. But the one thing I'd say, I'm sort of in this discussion. I am. I'm not on. I'm not as. I say Tom is on a more sort of sort of scolding viewpoint, whilst uh, Tristan's more sort of the. Tom's like the bad cop, and Tristan's <laughs> the good cop. <laughs> and I'm sort of the. I'm the cop who. The, I'm the inexperienced cop who's just still doing work experience or something, um, <laughs> because I'm sort of the view that, like that Verstappen incident, that was that was a one-off incident. We saw Verstappen not really put a foot wrong in that championship year, other than a couple of things. Um, maybe he could have left more space at Silverstone, uh, turning in on Hamilton, and yes, maybe he could have. He probably had pole at Saudi Arabia, even though that put that lap was like iconic and like something to behold. And one of the one of the one of the most watched clips of something not being a poll, I'd say as well. But I think the problem with Leclerc is he does it on a regular basis. He push he pushes too hard regularly, and he overcooks it regularly. And that's the issue for me: the fact that it's not spread out across a long period of time. It happens on quite a regular basis. He doesn't seem to go many races without some sort of prang or instant um, occurring. And yes, he could have walked under some ca- some scaffolding, or he could have, uh, I don't know, looked in the mirror, or like what's the other bad like? What is it? Walk uh, walk uh, walk over ten black cats or something like that. 
Um, but he does seem to get himself into these situations a lot. Now, I wouldn't say that... I disagree with Science being a better driver or a one who might win a world championship. I think that Science is too... Science is good, but I think he's too middle of the road. I think he's he is very much a Perez-type figure in that he's good and he will win races, but will he win a championship? I can't see it myself. Um, Leclerc, in my view, definitely still has a higher ceiling, should we say. But I also don't disagree with the fact that he does it on a regular basis and he's it's proving it must be infuriating for Ferrari to an extent because they have such a talented driver but then he does this on a regular basis but then at the same time to throw something else into the mix this might not be an issue come the end of next year having based on his comments uh, in the press conference for Azerbaijan last week where instead of silencing any doubters and putting any speculation to bed and saying I will drive for Ferrari he said there have not been talks with Mercedes not yet um, so he definitely didn't. He definitely didn't silence that with the it's the, the not yet, which which could ease that could easily, to be fair, be a a language barrier or a possible like a miscommunication. But at the same time, didn't exactly silence any uh, any potential gossip rumor about uh, perhaps a Russell Leclerc partnership at Mercedes in twenty twenty five, which would be uh, that'll be an that'll be a lovely pairing. Very interesting. Rip Ocon. Uh. <laughs> he yes. still has ambitions, and, doesn't he? And De Vries. <laughs> that would be quite the driver lineup, though, wouldn't it? If you're thinking of a replacement for Lewis Hamilton to come and slot in, granted what I said about Leclerc not being perhaps as good as you, we first thought or I first thought, that would be quite the pairing, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, as I'm trying to think, has any driver gone from Ferrari to Mercedes? Schumacher? Not, not in recent history. Yeah, not, not directly. But Schumacher yes, had yeah. a break right before, mm. so mm. it would be an interesting one. He would be up there with with people like Schumacher, but I'd argue they're a little bit different because I think Schumacher was brought on, and I could be wrong. There's going to be a a, 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 a stat got, man out I've there. Thought, no, I've thought of one. It's technically not that, but Mercedes used to be called Braun, mm. and Braun mm. used to be called Honda. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think Barrichello, Rubens Barrichello, went from Ferrari to Honda at some point. Mm. That sounds familiar. So, possi- yeah. Yeah. so it's, it's it's not it's not it's not Ferrari to Mercedes, but it's technically because Honda used to be at the same factory that Mercedes are at now. But yeah. well, it would be an unusual move. Is uh, what I'm going to say. Very rare. And yeah. Schumacher yeah. is the only one I think did do Mercedes and Ferrari as they are called. Um, but there was a break in the in the middle, I think. And I think Schumacher was brought on to help develop the car anyway i've i've digressed um which is to be honest i think he needs a directive from ferrari to say look you've got to stop pushing as hard and i think it's on ferrari now to for, to deliver what they promised when they got rid of Mattia bonotto and ushered in what they were calling like a new era fred Vasseur in the leadership role because they've they've got a car that's just a bit poor and they're having to try and get their golden boy to get around the track faster than anyone else. And I just don't think it's going to work like that. I don't think Science is a better driver than Leclerc. I think Leclerc is still the the ultimate talent. But I, do, I think his inconsistency, and I'm just being kind, I think, is, is due to the fact he's having to push so hard. Uh, Max was inconsistent in 2021. He got himself in poor pit situations. He crashed out, managed to crash him and... Hamilton out, you know, multiple times. Twice, I can think of the time when they they came and collided. I I think the inconsistency here is a bit different to, like, Mick or Romain Grosjean, where they sort of crashed out on their own own sort of mistakes because they were just being overambitious but silly. I think Leclerc is having to to push the car and, and, and is overcompensating for... The, the you know the lack of performance inherently in the Ferrari, um, you know Mick and Roman were crashing out, keeping the Haas a bit in its parameters. If you like, they were just you know silly mistakes. Um, whereas I think Leclerc is having to take more risks to try and get that glory. Maybe it would be good for him to go to Mercedes. That'd be great, but you know only time will tell. 
And looking further down the pack now, we go to Alpine and Haas, who, after a quite chaotic qualifying, cashed in when it came to the race. You had Magnussen ending up in P4 in on the Saturday, that is, and then falling down to P10, which is a point after a very good fight with uh, Leclerc, who we just mentioned. And then going on to Alpine, you had Gasly qualifying in P5, falling down to P8. Meanwhile, Ocon falling down from P8 to P9. So double points finished for them. Um, a good weekend for them. We're now looking at um, Alpine sort of solidifying, being in joint fifth uh, with McLaren and also Haas uh, moving away from the bottom three. They're now in seventh. Do you think they'll stay where they are or is their chance for a bit of jeopardy be that positive or negative from either? Angus. Alpine, Alpine, interesting. I like uh, your phrasing saying they solidify uh, fifth, sixth place in the constructors there. Very interesting mm. considering what we heard from um, the CEO, Laurent Rossi, uh, earlier this week, basically saying that um, if things don't improve, then heads may roll and he wouldn't be afraid to do it before the end of the season. Ooh. Big statement. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, that's fair enough. When Alpine had a, a strong year, Alpine, I can't lie, probably a bit annoyed right now, because firstly their car isn't as quick. They are in a team where where they were hoping to close the gap to uh, the top three teams. They're currently two hundred and ten points off Red Bull. Um, not the best start. They've also their star driver and double world champion, who is welcomed back with open arms ditched the team and is now racking up podiums in a rival who was a long way behind them up until the end of last year. Oh, and they lost their star protégé as well to a direct rival. So it's not been the best year for Alpine. And I still don't doubt they've got a, a strong lineup in Gassi and Ocon. And the fact that they got a double points finish this weekend, that's a good thing. Um... Second double points finished the season. But at the same time, they're just not doing as well as they should be, I feel. I mean, not yes, the car isn't as strong. But at the same time, when you build a car, you hope it doesn't set on fire like it did in Baku. When you build a car, you hope that your drivers don't crash into each other like they did in uh, in Australia. It's quite a sight seeing two, two uh, very bright pink cars just in tatters on the side of the track in uh, at Albert Park like they were but they definitely had a I'd agree definitely had a better weekend in Miami the caveat of Gasly's P5 and Ocon's P8 in qualifying was the fact that Verstappen and Leclerc and Russell uh, didn't have those chances those those better extra laps due to the uh, situation with the red flag otherwise that would have been possibly 7th and 8th or 8th and ninth or something like that but at least that's a promising sign, I guess. And the points finish is as, is as well. But I'm not surprised that uh, Mr. Rossi is a little bit peeved at the start of the season they've made and how they are closer to the bottom of the leaderboard than they are to anywhere near where they were last year. Um, so will heads roll? Will Otmar Safnauer be under intense pressure? From the sounds of it, the pressure's already started. Yeah, but it's, it's uh, Rossi. Rossi, who was labelled as Alain Prost, um, you know, world champion in, in Formula One, and you know, I would say very uh, methodical uh, man as as pretty toxic human to to work under, and not very liked either, as you can probably imagine by those comments from Prost there, but. I don't think it's it's Otmar Safnauer's fault. Most of this stuff, the car was being developed for. He arrived. Uh, the he would have looked at the legal team, and and trusted the legal team when it came to securing the contract for Piastri. So that's not really his fault either. He's only been there um, a few months. So blimey, I think that would be incredibly harsh to get rid of him. Maybe Laurent Rossi needs to leave because. He's not doing very well. He's been CEO throughout all of this, so you know, I can't. I can see why Renault is a bit annoyed because they are throwing a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of engineers, a lot of effort at this, and they're not getting 
the performance that they thought they should or would. But then so are McLaren. McLaren are doing the same thing. I mean, I still find it a bit weird that they're with the Al- you know they've chucked the Alpine brand in there because Renault is the one with all the pedigree, a really really good pedigree. But that's you know that's a, a for another time. I, if they got if they got rid of Otmar now, it would be for the wrong reasons. They'll just Ferrari it. They've got to at least allow him to to make his mark. But I'd be looking further up the chain to be honest. Laurent Rossi, I think, is is just a poor manager. There you go. I said it. If you're listening, Rossi, then um, hi. And I think <laughs> you know fundamentally the they are right. They should be doing better with the the resource they've got, but. It's only the second season of of new regulations. You mm. can't you can't expect miracles if you didn't get it right the first time, and they haven't got it right the first time. So, just got to develop the car instead of moaning. I think there's always a psychodrama going on at Renault slash Alpine, isn't there? Seemingly, if it wasn't Daniel Ricciardo, then it was Oscar Piastri. It was Cyril Beatable. It was name anything basically in the recent iteration of the car here, and I think it'd be quite frankly outrageous if Otmar Safnau were to get sacked after their joint fifth in the Constructors' Championship. Yes, Aston Martin have jumped them, surprised everyone I think really with how well they've done but in my view when it comes to Aston Martin it's a castle built on sand. You've got a driver who's going to be retiring very shortly and you've got the son of the owner who is quite frankly not fit to drive in that car because I don't think he's good enough. Meanwhile compare that with Alpine for example, two very solid drivers both French and nationality, also not even reached their peak really when it comes to their age. I think the future's looking bright. And I mean, with um, McLaren, for example, you've got peaks and troughs there. Meanwhile, with Alpine, they seem to be rather consistent. So I'd be very happy with a, with a P5. Looking at how they've been previously, that is, when it comes to Renault slash Alpine, because they've never struck me as a car or a constructor that wants to win championships. They're just very, very happy to be sort of fourth, fifth, the plucky underdogs getting in there occasionally because they've got the money, they've got the resource. They quite happily say on Drive to Survive, oh, well, we are the biggest manufacturer of cars in France. We are just an amazing brand, but not, in my view anyway, willing to go and put their money where their mouth is or make ruthless decisions to go and win championships. So... Fifth is where they deserve to be, really, and I think fifth or fourth is probably where they'll stay uh, if the current drivers and team stays in place, which, honestly, isn't really a bad thing because you've got such a solidified, I suppose, out of reach almost, top three in Red Bull, uh, Mercedes and Ferrari. It's very, very hard to break into unless you've got plans to do so on a sustainable footing, which, irrespective of the Constructors' Championship I'm looking at now, I'm not convinced that Aston Martin have the ability to do that. So if you were to choose boom or boom and bust versus strong and stable, I think I know which one I'd be going for. So calm. I would I would urge calm from the hierarchy at Alpine after a good weekend, really. It's the wrong words to say in bad optics after a good performance by both drivers. Well, on that note, that seems that's all we've got time for in terms of episode 12 of F1 in Review 2023. Thank you very much for listening all the way to the end of this one, be that on your preferred podcast provider or indeed elsewhere. A reminder, as ever, you can follow us on Twitter and TikTok, the handle being F1 in Review, all one word, of course. And unfortunately, there's no racing this coming weekend. Uh, the next Grand Prix is Imola. That is on May the 21st. But we'll return next week to dissect the losers from the Miami Grand Prix and talk about other things when it comes to Formula One news, opinions and elsewhere. So we'll, uh, we'll be back next week. Do tune in and we look forward to uh, having your company again. See you later. Bye-bye.